Good morning, brothers and sisters. We're recording this message today. It's Wednesday. It's one day ahead of the governor's order for us to stay at home for the next month. I'm not sure yet how that's going to impact future recordings from this place, but we have some time to figure it out. Uh, we will figure out what we can and cannot do lawfully. A couple of scriptures come to mind in times like these. The first is from 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we read, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Another passage is Romans 13. Romans 13, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The Bible is clear that we are to submit to the authorities that are over us, the only exception to that, an allowable exception, is when the government demands that we do something that is explicitly against a command of God. For instance, in the book of Acts, in chapter 5, the apostles are preaching the gospel. They're talking about Jesus, and they get arrested, and they get dragged into court, and they are told, you can't do that anymore. And so Peter is honest and says, we can't comply with that order. We have to preach the gospel. Acts 5.29, right? We must obey God rather than men. So there is a time when civil disobedience is scriptural, it's biblical. And I just want to say that we're not at that time, even though there are a few folks who I would consider to be rogues who are defying uh, our government's orders and trying to hold church services anyway. The situation that we find ourselves in these days is not the same as that which we find in the early church, where there was a government that was trying to stomp out Christianity, trying to stop all worship. What we have today is a government that is doing its best to try to care for all of us. Our government is acting in our best interest to keep us safe. So having to stay at home for another month is inconvenient, disappointing, and it is discouraging. Uh, it's not the news that we have been hoping for, but it beats the alternatives, sort of things that many men and women and children are facing in our cities these days and the people, the medical professionals who are trying to care for these sick ones, we don't want 
that. I just heard today of the first confirmed case of this virus in our county. It is here, and um, we have to be safe. And right now, we are safe. To my knowledge, all the folks in our church are healthy and are well. And we want to keep it that way. We want to finish this thing with the same number that we started with, if that's possible. So let's do what we can to keep it that way. First point today is be compliant. Second point, a bit of a stretch, but not an unrealistic expectation for a Christian. Open your Bibles, if you have them, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Awesome chapter of Scripture. I'm going to read beginning in the 15th verse. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I'm going to stop there for a second and point out the fact that we are to let that happen. The imperative is on us. The onus is on us. You implied, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, implied, you, imperative, let this word of God dwell in your heart, and let it do so richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Beloved, these are puzzling times, aren't they? These are challenging times. I want to encourage you in these times to be thankful. Gratitude is the hallmark of Christianity. We have so much to be thankful for, and we're entering an era where folks are going to be complaining, they're going to be demanding, and they're going to be expecting things, and they're going to be focusing on what they do not have. But we have so much to be thankful for. So I want you to ponder that, if you would. Take some time to count your blessings and consider how the Lord has blessed you and how he's blessing you even today. In preparation for this time of quarantine, like most of you, I'm sure, Liz and I had stocked up on groceries, expecting that we would be housebound for a, a week or so. And at least if we weren't housebound, we weren't going to be going out to the grocery store if we could avoid it. And then we watched the governor's press conference last night and realized that we're in for a much longer haul than we expected so we decided we better go to the grocery store again and stock up some more. So we saddled up and we headed to the store. It's pretty eerie grocery shopping these days. I think you've probably all had this experience now. Trying to keep six feet away from everybody that's in that store. Some people have good boundaries. Some people have no boundaries. What are the rules? And then if you're kind of like me, you get there and you're like, I don't even know what I'm looking for. I feel like I should be here and get some things because I need some stuff, but I don't know what it is. And I should have maybe one of everything. And so it's, it's just an odd experience. But believe it or not, we had a good time at the grocery store last night. 
Liz and I are very different people. Most people who know us know that we're very different people. And we approach this uh, idea of a quarantine differently. We both, we have different ideas of what it is that we think we need. So we're, we're probably almost fun to watch at a grocery store because I'm like, seriously, how much cheese do we need? How many packages of cheese do we need? And my wife is like, well, look at it. It's good till 2034, so we can, well, let's just get it. And she's thinking that we need fruits and we need vegetables. And I'm thinking much more like we need frozen pizza and we need pudding. We should always have pudding is what I think. I would not be a very good prepper. I, I know that. I would... Uh, I would get into the bunker with somebody, and my bunker mates would say, okay, what do you have? And I'd be like, well, I got, I got a hot pocket and some gum. The criteria for shopping last night was fill the card up until you can't push it anymore, and then check out. That's what we did. It was odd and funny yesterday. And you know how in a store you keep running into the same people? You've had that experience grocery shopping. You're going up one aisle. They're coming down. You go to the next one. You're going up. They're coming down. You see the same people over and over again. Well, that happened to us last night. And uh, finally, in the frozen food section at Hannaford, this lady that we had seen on numerous occasions, she just said, you know what? You two are the only people in this store who are smiling. <laughs> She said, the rest of us, we just want to get in here and get out. <laughs> well, why shouldn't we smile? Why shouldn't we, as Liz told that dear lady, make our own fun? It was the Puritan Thomas Watson who, who wrote, Who should be cheerful but the people of God? And Psalm 34, verse 5, it says, Those who look to him are radiant. They are radiant. That word that we translate, radiant, comes from a, a root word, which means to sparkle. Figuratively, it means to be cheerful. Now, to be cheerful is not in any way to minimize the seriousness or the severity of our circumstances, right? The Apostle Paul and his friend Silas were not diminishing the seriousness of downplaying their imprisonment when they're singing hymns at midnight in the Philippian jail, but what are they doing? They're exercising their faith. We get to choose our disposition, you know. We get to choose that. And being happy is quite possible if we choose to rest in the reality that God is in control. So church, I want to encourage you to be compliant, to be thankful, and to be cheerful. Be cheerful. We submit to the authority that is over us for the Lord's sake, Peter says. And we do so believing that God will work in those authorities for our good, as the Apostle Paul told us. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before your word now to find you in it to hear your voice, to be encouraged, to be reminded of these great truths, that you love us, that you're with us, that you'll never leave us, that you care for us, and even that you have a word for us this day. 
So speak to us, Lord. Help us to quiet our hearts and minds in order to hear what you have. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So if you'd like to open your Bibles with me this morning, we are in Matthew chapter 13. I'll tell you straight up, we're not going to get too far into Matthew chapter 13. This is another one of those messages that has gone from one part to two. And I can also tell you this, my friend, at this point, your sermon card is officially out the window. We don't know what's going to happen uh, from Sunday to Sunday. And so we can just say that uh, we don't really have a plan after today. We'll figure it out as we go, which is what most of us have been doing anyway. But I'm in Matthew chapter 13 to begin with to lay the groundwork for our next parable, which is the parable of the weeds. While you're turning maybe to Matthew 13, let me remind you that one of the helps in understanding a parable and its meaning, one of the safeguards also against ascribing it a false meaning, is to consider the setting in which it is delivered and the literal context, that is where it sits in the scripture. Matthew chapter 13 it begins with a common but worth thinking about phrase, that same day. Well, the same day as what? Clearly something has happened before, and Matthew is telling us that what is about to come comes on the heels of what has happened. So naturally, we begin to wonder, well, what was that? Good news for us, in order to understand what has happened, all we have to do is flip back a page or so and begin to read. When we flip back a page, we find that Jesus is where he is. He's in the countryside because he had healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, were, were conspiring to kill him because of that. Now, Jesus has come to earth to give his life a ransom for many. He tells us that in the Gospel of Mark. But since it wasn't yet his time to give his life, and these men are conspiring to kill him, he decides to get on out of there. And as he leaves, he's followed by a whole group of people. Lots of people with lots of problems. Matthew tells us in verse 15 that he healed them all. Sounds like he was having a pretty busy day. And a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus. He healed that man as well. That prompted the Pharisees to accuse him of casting out demons by the power of Satan. And so Jesus engaged them in a conversation that revealed their flimsy thinking. And um, it also led him to teach them or to tell us that you'll know a, a tree by the fruit that it produces, right? In other words, a good person is going to do good, and an evil person is going to do evil, and that's how you tell them apart. Jesus also spoke to them about a coming day of judgment when men will give account for every careless word that they utter because they were being very careless in their words toward Jesus. They were blaspheming Jesus. These themes are all present, by the way, in the parables that Jesus is about to share in Matthew 13, a chapter that contains seven parables about the kingdom of heaven. But that same day before he gives these parables, his mother and his brother stop by for a visit. 
And that gave Jesus an, uh, Jesus an occasion to tell us that everyone who does the will of his father is a member of his family. It's not just a biological thing. It's a spiritual thing. Now we get to Matthew 13, verses 1 and 2. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the shore. I think Matthew's concern as he opens this section of the narrative, chapter 13, is to show us how Jesus spent his time, how tirelessly he ministered, preaching, teaching, inviting people into the kingdom of God. He has always been this Jesus, even in his childhood. You remember that story about him being left behind and being found in the temple. And when he was found and they said, what are you doing? He said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He's always been about his father's business, which begs a question for us, I think, if we're sensitive to the text, what business are we about? Whose business are we about? How do we spend the lion's share of our time? I know being confined to our houses is less than ideal, but one of the blessings of this uh, enforced Sabbath rest is that we have some time to evaluate how we spend our time. Maybe you've seen this little bit of wisdom from Facebook. In the rush to return to normal, let's use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back. Psalm 90 verse 12 is fitting prayer in times like these. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Similar sentiment is voiced in Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Jesus was tireless in his commitment to his Father's will. John chapter 4 is a pretty famous chapter in the Bible. In it, you find the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. I suspect you are familiar with that story. Jesus' disciples had gone into town to buy food and left him alone there at the well. And a woman came to draw water. And she was a woman of Samaria. And it would be odd for a Jewish man to address a woman like that. But Jesus did. He asks her for a drink, and a lot of conversation ensues there, and he finally offers her living water. And when they begin to talk a little deeper about the things of life, it becomes apparent that Jesus has a window into her life that he could not otherwise have had, lest he were a prophet. Eventually, she came to understand that he was not simply a prophet, but he was the Messiah. She was so excited to find the Messiah that she left her water jar and went into town and told everybody about him. And they came, and she was really like the first missionary, right? The first witness that she went, she went in and told everybody about Jesus, and they came out to see him. And he was ministering to them. And so many of them came to see him that his disciples became 
became concerned for Jesus because he hadn't had anything to eat. They had gone in much earlier to buy food. He should have been hungry. He could have been famished. And so they said to him, Rabbi, eat. And what does Jesus say to them in John chapter 4, verse 34? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food, my meat is to do the, the will of him who sent me. My food, the thing that sustains me, what keeps me going, what drives me is to do the will of God. This doesn't think about his next meal. And all I seem to think about these days is my next meal. His eyes are set on things above. My eyes are set on the refrigerator. And I, and probably you, might be better served to be asking, what is the Lord's will for me in this time? What is the Lord's will for me now? Why am I here? Why am I in the position I am in? Why do I have these people around me? How can I serve the Lord here and now? What can I do for his kingdom? I know it might feel this way, but it's not true. Life is not on pause. These are odd times, and nothing feels normal, and very little feels right. But I'm telling you, life is not on pause. And these are impressionable times. You understand, don't you, that everyone who lives through this pandemic will remember these days, and they will remember what happened to them. So, beloved, I simply want to tell you this morning, stand firm in your faith. Let your face be radiant. Trust God. Do his will. There is work yet to do as we follow both the example and the person of our Lord Jesus. As the Scottish theologian David Dixon says of our passage in Matthew 13, that same day, without wearying or fainting in labor, he goeth to the seaside. Father, you have plans for us, things for us to do, words for us to say, people to reach with the gospel of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to not be so caught up in the circumstances of these days that we would lose sight of you, of the fact that you are sovereign over everything and that you maintain a call on our lives to let your light shine in such a way that people will glorify you. God, help us to lift our eyes to you and help us to open our ears to what you want to say to us 
Father, we thank you this morning for the example of our Savior who was tirelessly committed to doing your will. And we confess that we are at times more committed to our own, but we don't want to be. We truly want to find our pleasure and our happiness in you. And we want to do what you want us to do. Surely need your guidance, Lord. These are unprecedented and odd times for us. Have mercy and help us to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name.